Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business? Introducing the Godfather at ChampaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, welcome back to the Villa View. It's time for a post-match pint in association with Purity. Apologies for the tidiness. I would love to say that it was all Neil's fault, but it wasn't. It was me trying to get myself set up. An absolute disgrace. This show is in association with Purity Ale. If you want to get 10% off, then if you use the code hashtag Villa View, you will get 10% off at the checkout. Let's bring Neil in as this is not a drill, Neil. Aston Villa have won a game of football. It feels like it's been forever. It probably actually hasn't been that long, but it was one win in eight or one win in nine. So things were getting a little bit desperate. But they went to Brighton. And as I predicted, they won 2-0 now. Um, I think I predicted that they, won two, they would win 2-0. Yeah. <laughs> no, you said you. I went back and checked. You said 2-1. Yeah, I, I know. I said 2-0. Uh, I said, two nil. I said yeah. Yeah, I went back and checked. <laughs> well, yeah, look, a win's a win's a win. And I think the biggest thing with regards to this was that... Um, you know, we won. We didn't need. We didn't need to make wholesale changes to the playing personnel, but um, the tweaks to the to the formation, the tweaks to the setup, and I suppose really, if we're really to be honest as well, a lackluster Brighton performance really went in our way. And and I think we're at the stage where we just needed a win, um, something, something to give the team a bit of confidence, something to lift the the doom and gloom, and uh, you know, it's something to build on. I think going into going into Southampton and Arsenal. Yeah, there was a there was a bit more steel in there, wasn't there, at the weekend? I suppose it's not something that really could have been added in for the Watford game. So the type of display we put in at the weekend that wouldn't have really made a difference against Watford. I, I wouldn't have thought. I think the game would have done gone the same way. But we we added the steel against Brighton, who obviously like to have a bit more of the ball. They like to play a little bit higher up. But Steven Gerrard as well, without and I suppose he did. He, I think he changed the system. Mm. Looking at it. He made changes. We got two up top, Coutinho behind Ings and Watkins. Fullbacks, even though Matty Cash scored, not bombing on quite as much. And then that enabled John McGinn to have his best game probably since Leicester at Villa Park. So everything that Steven Gerrard did 
kind of came together quite nicely on Saturday. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Got more out of the midfield, which is what everybody wanted. And we didn't have Luca Dean as being our, our highest um, position player on average. So, you know, little bits like this. And also, we didn't cross the ball ad nauseum as well, trying to get, trying mm. to fashion chances. And, and and I think that was a big, big, big piece uh, in the Watford game was that we crossed balls in there hoping that they'd make a mistake that we could capitalize on. And that's that's okay. That's not that's not an awful tactic. But, you know, when you've got people like Coutinho, um, Ali Watkins, Ings, and, and those playing up top, you know, you should be able to fashion some chances. Um, I do think that the complexion of this game was completely and utterly blown out of the water and changed with the fact that Matty Cash scores a goal in 17 minutes. You know, we go in nil all at halftime or we don't get that early goal. I think that we're a very, very different proposition and doubts begin to, begin to stream back into our minds. But um, specifically when the fact that we didn't have the ball an awful lot within the game. But, uh, you know, Matty Cash scores an absolute belter. He won't score many better goals than that. I suppose I probably said that after the Everton game when he scored that goal too. But um, this one was better. And, uh, you know, it was fantastic to, to, to get that early goal because I think Aston Villa need that. I think we needed that, should I say, because we hadn't scored in, in the last two games. And then Ollie Watkins scores from a speculative pass from Tyrone Mings. I'm not... Thinking that Mings Harsh, oh, you know, you should be on match of the day with that kind of that kind of wording. <laughs> I think a lovely, lovely ball, lovely ball over the top. It was, it was perfect. I actually think, you know what? When you look at it, and Aston Villa released a view from, it was like someone who was sitting yeah, on just the sideline. I just saw it. Yeah, that was brilliant. But what you see from Watkins there, Watkins looks over his shoulder and completely sells. The, the defender, I can't remember who it was. Was it Cucurella? Absolutely, completely sells him. Cucurella was looking at, at Watkins to see where he was. And next thing before you know it, Watkins had him spun and was gone. It was like like whoever the defender was, I can't remember who it was, um, just wasn't even watching the, the ball at all. He was just trying to play play Watkins. And uh, um, it was it was great. It was a lovely turn. And something that Ali Watkins, I, I, I've been critical of him previously as being kind of one-on-ones. Um, but he he stuck it. He absolutely stuck it, and there was no there, there was no stopping that shot. So um, two good goals, two really nice goals, and two goals that came at very very good and opportune times that allowed us to control yes. the first half after 17 minutes. And then secondly, it allowed us to control the second half because we were under a bit of pressure in the second half as well. Albeit that they didn't get too many shots on target, we couldn't get hold of the ball. Um, so that second goal really really really. And dug us out, I think, and, made, and and I know it made me feel an awful lot better about the game, and I was able to enjoy the last 20 minutes then. Yeah, it felt quite comfortable, didn't it? The Probably the last third, the last quarter of the game, you were never really worried that Brighton were going to get back into it at all. Even when Danny Ioni scored against Aston Villa, Welbeck entered the pitch, you still weren't too concerned. Well, actually, you probably should have done a little bit better with, with the header. It was quite a strange header from him mm. in the end. Let's just talk about Matty Cash a little bit then. Probably, I would say, one of Aston Villa's most consistent performers. And before he scored, he actually made two really bits of critical defending, some really good defensive contributions from him. And people sometimes question Matty Cash, question question the fullbacks. But all through the season, probably other than Ramsey, I would say he's been our most consistent performer. My criticisms of Matty Cash don't come in defence at all. And what they are is that how in the hell, in the name of God, has he not won a penalty this season? Because sometimes when he gets to the, to the box, he almost backs back again to give himself space to cross the ball. And that's that that comes with my inherent, I suppose, frustration at the amount of crossing of the ball that we do uh, at times um, when Matty Cash should just be, you know, taking the next step and, 
if he's going to be that far up the field, try and take on a, a fullback. If you win a corner, you win a corner, but you may win a penalty. And and, and that's my criticism of Matty Cash. But no, in, in defense, he's 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 really, really solid. He loves that tough tackle. You know, he's got very, very good positioning. Um, but in defense and in attack, yeah, it's, I, I think over the two games, the, the Newcastle and the Watford games, he probably favored the attacking positions an awful lot more, but I think that was more tactically than what what the team were told to do than something maybe he naturally did. So um, I'm not going to be too harsh on him um, from that point of view. But look, he came up trumps at the weekend. He's he's all right back. No one wants to see him go anywhere. And, you know, he's pushed on with Aston Villa to kind of make that position his own, considering he wasn't the natural right back at 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 Nottingham Forest either. You know, he played there, I think, for just shy of a season before moving to Aston Villa. And he's uh, he's developed into yeah. one of these um, new age right backs that, uh, that that have taken the Premier League by storm. So so well done to him. And two goals from the right back position is, uh, so far this season, is, is a nice return. That's two more than last season mm-hmm. as well. But I mean, we call him the Polish Kaffir. This is meant as a compliment. I'm not sure he's going to be taken as one. I'd say he's the Polish Gary Neville. He's very, very reliable. I mean, I think Gary Neville's the best right back that's played in the, in the Premier League. So that is a compliment from me. I think, you know, he's not blessed with rapid pace, but he's he's athletic. He's got good delivery. He defends first, in my opinion, which still, even in the modern day, is what I want for, from a wing back. He deals with most things that, that come, come his way, always on the overlap. He's, he just doesn't do anything that's particularly spectacular, but he's reliable. So as I say, for me, the Polish Gary Neville, and that is meant as a compliment. Gary Neville was the king of the overlap. You know, you had to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. He's got a podcast called The Overlap. Yeah, you had to be because he had Beckham playing in front of him, you know. So uh, it was, but it, uh, I actually don't mind that comparison with, with Maddie Cash. I don't mind it as well because you can see his game is very, it's very get vertical, you know, like like uh, like Gary Neville did. And um you know, maybe maybe that is something that needs to be done. Uh, as I say, when he does overlap, and what I'm trying to say here is that we don't really kind of get him into situations like that because he just literally just runs forward and almost becomes another winger. Whereas he's not really that that overlapping player within the system. But um, if he turns out anyway, um, as good as Gary Neville did, and we have as much success within the team as Gary Neville did with that Man- those Manchester United teams, then uh, you know we'll all be calling him. The, we'll be calling the next player that comes along the whatever the English Matty Cash. <laughs> I don't say I don't say any of their chance catching on the Polish Gary Neville I don't or the see English Matty Cash. Oh. I don't think that'd be getting sung at any time soon. I will say as well, he he's he's blocked. He's made a lot of good key blocks this season. I think it's gone unnoticed. Yeah, I think yeah. that part of his game has come come on leaps and bounds this season. He was good to have concert back in the back four as well. I just think. With, again, without doing anything spectacular, he just looked at ease through the whole game, and and him and Mings. They were never really overexerted in there. But the back four just looked a lot more solid. Martinez behind them as well. Everything just felt a little bit more nice on Saturday. Kanza's really good. Um, my dog seems to think so too. I don't know if you can hear that. But, uh, he's loving it. Yeah, he's loving it. <laughs> but Kanza is, is, is... I really, really liked it, like Kanza and I like that partnership. And, you know, to me, it's still a mystery how he hasn't even been at least called into the English squad, into the English team. You know, you only kind of miss a player like that when they're out. And obviously the two games that he was out 
out for um haven't exactly didn't exactly bear any fruit for us but just his positioning and um, he's very vocal i heard ashley priest say that as well that even in the ground you could hear kinds of talking an awful lot more he was marshalling matty cash an awful lot more as well and i suppose when you have those to have, have him beside mings um the, the shaky kind of games that mings have had uh, you know, having that that steadying influence and that familiarity with Kanza in there is uh, is going to be better for the whole back four. And long may it continue because you know stability of that 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 back four and with Emmy Martinez is something that we're going to need because clean sheets are going to be something that we're going to be working on over the course of the the, the end of this season. We haven't had an awful lot of them this season in comparison to last year. So um, you'd have to think that with thirty points now that we are safe. Uh, we're not going to, you know, we may not get too far north of 40 points this season. Um, but the the, wor- the strange thing about that is that we could finish in the same position as we did last year, you know, with yes. a, a lower points total. And, um, you know, that's that's a conversation, I suppose, for another day. But the only way that we are going to rocket up the table or to get the most from, from the remaining, what, 13 fixtures that we have left is going to be by trying to keep clean sheets or at least limiting the damage because we're not going to be a team that's going to score three, four or five goals um, in games. We're going to be teams a team that are going to maybe smash and grab one nil, two ones, uh, two nils like we did against Brighton there, you know, and... Uh, uh, until we can f- really sort out fluidity and attack, um, defence is going to be our best friend. And for defence to be our best friend, the likes of Cash and Kanza are going to have to be um, top of the menu for us. Before we go on to John McGill and look at him in a little bit more detail, I just want to talk about a Brighton midfielder. Obviously, he's been heavily linked with us over the last six months or so in Basuma. See, I mean, everyone has a bad game. I completely acknowledge that. I have bad days in what I do as well, but pretty much anonymous, really, in, the, in that Brighton midfield. I, I thought if that was his audition to get a move to us or a move elsewhere, I wouldn't say that he passed it. Agent Basuma, is it too early to say that? Or do we have to wait? Maybe. For yeah, I, I, I don't know. May, maybe. He wasn't very good. No, no, he wasn't very good. He certainly didn't look like £50 million worth of a player. But as you said, the, no. rea- the reactionary thing to do is to sit here and to say, oh, I wouldn't sign him. And went to Sundays, he was rubbish. He's not any better than what we have. Um, I think it was more so really down to the way we set up in midfield. And there was a lot of... There was a lot of uh, attention given to Coutinho and it came in the form of Basuma and what was that other guy's name? And McAllister trying to do it. And I don't think either of the two of them played particularly well um, in the game. I will say Coutinho was relatively quiet. He was involved in the game, but he, you know, he didn't do anything. Apart from his free kick, I don't remember him having a massive impact on the game, which again is an encouraging thing for us to go there and win 2-0 without Coutinho absolutely running proceedings. Mm-hmm. And uh, like... Even if he was to play that decoy to kind of keep those two guys occupied in the middle of midfield, I'm okay with that because we came away with a two 0 win. It was we must have thrown a curveball to to um, Graham Potter when we played two up top, um, mm, yeah, it, and change formation. It, it must have been a curveball to him. Um, you know, maybe it goes to show that some that some teams, specifically a Graham Potter team, is set out to be really rigid and tactically adept because, and I don't think that that's that's anything too groundbreaking because um, he is a coach's coach as such. You know, he likes to set out his team. He's got a philosophy. He's, he's, he's a tactical guy as opposed to somebody who's got, um, you know, he's a, he's a training ground manager, I think. And I think that's fair to say to him. It's not a, not a slight in him. But, you know, if you throw a spanner into the works like that and 
you know, nobody could have could have predicted it. Maybe it did kind of throw Basuma and like some McAllister off their game slightly. Um, and then obviously, look, Coutinho is he's, he's magic in a bottle when he gets going. So they would have needed to really marshal him. And uh, it could have been something as simple as that. But, you know, he, he was brilliant. Basuma was brilliant in the first game uh, in Steven Gerrard's tenure. You know, he ran the show from midfield, but uh, he was nothing like that yesterday. And as you say, every player has a bad game and a bad day. So, uh uh, I don't really care how he played because we won two 0 <laughs> until he's wearing until he's wearing claret and blue. I'll worry about him then after that. Would you say that those tweaks that we talked about at the start would, would they what allowed John McGinn to impact the game a little bit more? Was it as simple as that, or you know, did he just have, have a good game anyway? Or do you think it was because of the way we changed how we set up? It's hard to know. It's hard to know really. I, you know, he wasn't playing right back. I guess we'll say next week. Yeah, that's. That that's yeah. the yeah that's the crux of it really. But he wasn't playing right back for for a good majority of the game, which has happened previously, where he's just literally filled in for Matty Cash at right back, and that's been well documented. But um, maybe it could have been. Look, Stephen Gerrard has talked about honest conversations, you know, and make of that what you will. But an honest conversation could literally be f- pointing a finger at someone and saying you got to do more, and uh, that'll probably show who's who's who and, and, and who actually wants to continue on and, and, and bring a bit of leadership out in the team. And, and I think one game is probably too much to, to, to be able to kind of pinpoint exactly what the difference was in the beginning. But I think it always helps the fact that he hasn't been playing as an auxiliary right back anyway. And he was able to get involved in midfield more. And he was able to get on the ball a bit more and he was able to pass it. So um, maybe it was just a higher work rate that he had or the workload that he was given considering he was able to get in the ball more just meant that he stood out stood out to us because while he hasn't been he hasn't been poor in games it's just he's been anonymous because he hasn't been able to get in the ball covering space and and trying to get in and get into to an unfamiliar position of that almost wing back position that he's he's had to drop into recently so when Matt Cash didn't push up as forward as much maybe he was given license to go to to play in these more natural positions so um, as you say we'll see against Southampton we'll see against Arsenal we'll see as the as the rest of the season progresses dependent on how the Stephen Gerrard sets out the team Yes, a tough game next week. Southampton, they're still absolutely flying, unfortunately, going into the game at Villa Park on Saturday. I mean, I won't give the whole thing away because Greg will tell me off. But yeah, Greg, who I work with for the Athletic, he did a piece this morning. And basically, but there's been a lot of things going on behind the scenes at Bodymore this week. And one of the things has been working on the distances between the defence and the midfield, the midfield and the attack. And you could see it was a bit it was a bit more compact, wasn't it? And I think that's probably one of the things that that suited McGinn because when you're a bit more compact, it enables him to influence the game defensively. And he's actually better at winning the ball back than I think he gets credit for. He won a lot of balls back, won a lot of fouls in there in the in the middle of the park and just was all around more involved in the game. But it shows those those distances are critical because you have felt in recent weeks the space has just been too big. People are too far away from each other. Like McGinn in the fullback, the distance would have been mammoth in the game at Watford. Because everything was a little bit more compact, we looked a little bit more resolute, looked a little bit more solid, but it also enabled John McGinn to do what he's good at defensively rather than being a defender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even simple things with the spacing of players and the spacing of different lines is that, you know, when you don't have or when you come under pressure, you don't have to pull out a worldly of a pass, you know, without having to go backwards, if that makes sense. So if you're spacing between... It just kind of kept you ticking along in there as well, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that's exactly it. So like the spacing allows you not to get isolated. If you don't get isolated, you don't have to panic. If you don't panic, you don't make this, make, make a catastrophic pass or you know, make a massive mistake. So if you can limit your, your panic levels to 30 or 40, 20 or 30% even, as opposed to having them at high alert the whole time, 
um, because you feel like you are isolated, well, then naturally, you know, it's, it's, it's you're, you're going to be more comfortable on the ball. But um, also what I liked about that is when McGinn was cut, was, was um, pushed infield a small bit more, when he does get the ball, he is able to kind of, sometimes he plays this little pass to himself, just passes out in the space and runs onto it. Um, almost like yeah. schoolyard soccer, you know, that you see, but uh, he's um, little things like that. And, and, and that's why I've always kind of said that the Steven Gerrard, tactic just needs small tweaks it doesn't need to be burnt down and, and you know and, and, and completely remade again little tweaks like that and it was always for me it was going to be spacing it was going to be set up in average positions of our full backs making sure that we can uh, you know that we get runners off the shoulder in, uh, in in attack and that we've got somebody that's able to link midfield and uh, uh, midfield and the two centre halves to have a pivot player back in there and I think those small changes really worked because Luis and I know we're talking about McGinn there but Luis well he didn't have a massive massive game he was able to get back in between the two center halves, take the ball from them and just distribute it. And he had, uh, I can't remember the exact um, statistic, yeah, but he had a really, really good pass success rate from memory, um, which is which is always good because... Like the, he did that one horror pass though, didn't he? Did. he? And that, unfortunately for him, that's the only bit I can remember from the game. <laughs> that's what happens, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, he just literally just passed it as it completely saw the wrong shirt and, and passed it to the wrong guy. But... Um, yeah, look, work in progress. I think that midfield is still a work in progress for sure. But, uh, you know, Rome was a built in a day and, uh, and hopefully they'll progress on from this. A tough, tough one against Southampton coming up because of the weird formation they mm. play. Um, and it never favours a midfield uh, because of the it's it's just such a such a crazy formation that they play. Um, but, yeah, here's hoping that, that we see build, that they can build upon that. They can they can match them for their work rate in there. What did you make of Ings and Watkins then? You know, that's been a work in progress. Also, is it not much progress being made overall? But you know, to win the game with them playing as a as a front to against Brighton, that's a, that's a positive. And I don't think it worked massively and link up loads through the game. I would say from memory from watching that game on on Saturday. But you know, when Watkins scores, he's the first man on the scene. You know, they clearly they clearly like each other. We just need to try and suss it out and and, and get it working because if, if we can. There's two good goal scorers there. I still maintain Ings is one of the most lethal finishers in the Premier League. I just don't think he's had loads of chances in an Aston Villa shirt. You know, in the main, the ones he's had, except for the one where he hit the post the other week, I think he has took them away. It's not like he misses loads when he's on the pitch. I just think we still don't really know how to get the best out of him and service him. I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, I remember I did a podcast when we signed Danny Ings with uh, Southampton supporter, Southampton supporting podcast. And they said that, you know, he's not a striker that plays right up top on the on the line of the of, of defenders, you know. So he's not a he's not a sole striker essentially, and that, that he would have played up top an awful lot with Shea Adams and, and, and a couple of other strikers. Now I can't remember the exact conversation, but I always kind of do come back to that and I always kind of think of it um whenever I see him trying to win a ball with his back to goal and stuff like that. But um when you look at himself and Watkins, neither of the two of them are are that type of player. And I think that when you have, I think when the two of them have played together, because one of them isn't comfortable playing in that position, and then the other person is kind of more like a sniper that snipes around the fringes. If the person not comfortable in, in the hold up play can't hold up the ball or can't even knock the ball down to the other person who's sniping around the fringes, then both of them look poor. Um, so it, it's it's a really strange one that. Dean Smith played the played played him right up top on his own, and now Stephen Gerrard has come in and done it. And I think it kind of goes back to to, to kind of the situation that we're in 
with the defensive midfielder or without having a defensive midfielder is that, you know, we're playing people in there to kind of almost take a bullet for the team because they're trying to do their best in a role that maybe their, their physicality or maybe their skill set doesn't quite quite suit. Um, but that's not to say that they're bad players, if that makes sense. So the Ings and mm-hmm. Watkins thing didn't really kick off at the weekend either. 23 touches, I think, for Ings, 20, 28 for Watkins. Um, uh, of those 23 for Ings, I can't even remember one touch that he had. Actually, I do. I remember he picked the ball up far or wide on the right and just played a ball massively into space, a la like he did uh, for the Leon Bailey goal against Everton towards the start of the season. And Dina got onto the ball, but Dina kind of held up his run to allow midfield catch catch up to the play. Um, but apart from that, I don't really remember an awful lot from Danny Ings. I thought that, you know, while he worked and he ran and and, and there was one or two occasions where he did pull um, defenders around, specifically Veltman, um, there wasn't an awful lot that he did with the ball at his feet, I don't think. And uh, once again, you know, this team is a wor- is still a work in progress and not everything clicked at the weekend, but 2-0 was the result and, and you've got to be happy with that. That's an interesting point for Mark at the bottom there because Brendan obviously didn't even get on the pitch mm. on Saturday. But we talked about not completely reinventing the wheel in the in, in the match preview. But if you've got, you've got the four, obviously you've got the goalkeeper, you've got the back four, you've got the three in midfield. You can be a little bit flexible in some games, play one ten and a two. Some games play the four three three with the with the two tens. And it keeps the opposition guessing a little, a little bit more. You know, Brendan is still going to play football this season, but it would be good to just have that little bit of flexibility up top because then you're not having to shift Watkins wide or playing him out of position. You've got the option for certain games to go with that front two. So I actually think it's a good thing that Wendell came out for one game and we found a system that, that won us a game because that system could well work again in the future. But you've still got the option of one of the strikers with the, with the two tens in other games. So I think that's actually a good thing. Yeah, uh, there's there's nobody has put their hand up on this team to say that they're indispensable this season. And that's not having a go at Emmy Buendia. But, you know, we've got a squad. We might as well use it. Uh, I remember November... 2020 when we were going on a great run uh, with Dean Smith in charge and and people were giving out that we were using the same 11 every week, you know, so the Premier League is a demanding league is what I'm trying to get at here. Man City don't use the same players every week. Man United don't use the same players every week. Chelsea, you know, so squads are there to be used, they're there to be rotated and and, um, you know, I'm a big fan of tailoring what you want to do and, and how you want to dictate the game based on your style of play to the, to the opposition that you're playing against. And if it means that Buendia comes out um, because Coutinho draws more attention, well, then I'm okay with that. But I'm only okay with that as long as we get the result at the end of the day and we have a, a coherent semblance of play when I play on the field. I'd say Buendia will probably... You know, it's, it's hard to change a winning team, but I don't think that there's... Um, Stephen Gerrard will be afraid to change that team at, at the weekend against Southampton. You know, if he feels he does want to go back to his two tens and one nine up top. Um, so as you said there, yeah, I'm not worried about Buendia not starting. I I think there'll be some games where maybe Bailey starts instead of Watkins, mm. or Bailey starts instead of Buendia, or Bailey starts instead of Coutinho, and 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 we see a small bit of a change around because uh, you know we've got a fantastic squad here now. Um, oh, sorry, we've got a squad with some good attacking intent, and to get them all into the team is going to be is not going to be possible for every single game. But some games will dictate that we've got to change formation and change personnel. The goalkeeper, the back four, and arguably the three in midfield pick themselves. But then I would say the, those front players on any given day, any of them could be a match winner and any of them could start. I think I'd quite like to see that it changed, chopped and changed the front three 
as the season goes on, or change it to a one and a two. I think I think that's a positive thing. Like you said, Leon Bailey again, he didn't even get on the pitch at the weekend. That's two of your big summer signings not even getting a minute. Both sat on the bench for ninety minutes against Brighton. So, and you've won the game. I would say, I'd say that is a good thing. Just finally, before we go, you know, we all talk about the need for a number six, and I'm saying the midfield picks itself. Probably that's until Nakamba comes back, because then I think he's going to add, he's going to add something to that to that midfield when he's fit again. But Tim, a rogue winner. Came on at the end of the game, and I think he's going to see some football towards now and the end of the season. You know, you might see some brief cameras. You get safe. You know, there's a little bit of an element of a worry that we might get sucked in. Stephen Gerrard alluded to him itself, but you know, Rogenham came on, got some football, didn't, didn't look out of place, and Gerrard spoke highly about him. And Michael Beale, I think, did as well on social media after the game. That was a nice thing because he's been on the bench a lot this season without getting on to see him come on and, and see out the game for Villa. And look, neat and tidy and not out of place. That's another perk. And that's the kind of thing you can do when you're actually winning, seeing a game out and winning a game comfortably, something that we haven't done too much of recently. You'll then get the chance to see people come on and get some football. Yeah. Great to see him. Great to see another person off the bench that's come through. I was going to say come through our academy, but that's a bit cheeky. Um, but at least has spent oh, yeah. time. Nab, nabbed. <laughs> at least definitely nabbed. Spent time in our academy, but uh, somebody that you know he was identified or identified early on in the summer last season, and he came in, and he's pretty much been with the first team since. I, I, he's gone. He's played yeah. with, with the under twenty threes and whatever else. And he was uh, wasn't he sent off during the week? I think um, on on Monday last um, in an under twenty threes game. But uh, yeah, he comes on the field. Um, doesn't do anything massively brilliant, but you know it's great to see him getting time uh, against the Brighton team there, and and, and time when we're two 0 up. And like you, I think that he will be rotated in and out of the team. And and uh, we've also got people like Carney Chukweka and uh, you know Ashley Young brought on again in the midfield position. And uh, Morgan Sanson comes on for for Douglas Luis. You know, so the the numbers I mentioned in the preview that we've only got twenty outfield players. Um, in our squad uh, outside of, you know, kids essentially. And for me, if they all stay healthy, we've got some very, very serious options in there. And it's all about then finding the tactic in any given game to get in any given game to fit them into. And, and, you know, now we can say that the young Tim is definitely one of those guys that, uh, that the, that the coaching staff um, have faith in, and I'm sure they will use him over the course of the next 13 games. Yeah, name drop about to come in. I can't remember whether I've said this on the Villa View or any podcast at all, actually, but I was at the Premier League Productions a few weeks ago doing something for them and Chris Brunt was in the green room with me. I was talking to him and uh, he brought up Erobenham, um, his name I'm still saying wrong, I'm pretty sure. They said he's worked with him because he was doing some youth coaching at West Brom and he said he's, he's going to be a very, very good mm. player. So that was, that was encouraging to hear and good to see him get on the pitch and good to chat to you. As always, now no internet issues for us today after the shambles that was the match previous. That's a positive as well. When Villa win, everything seems to just fall into place, doesn't it? Everything just feels a little bit better. So, yeah, thanks to everyone for tuning in as well. I'm not sure how many people have joined us. It's a bit of a weird time, 5pm, to be doing this. But hopefully, if you haven't tuned in live, you'll have caught up. And, of course, obviously, you're listening to me now, so you probably have caught up. So I don't even know what I'm talking about at this point. Hashtag ViloView is the code to get 10% off Purity Ale, all their beers, all their ales, some lovely, lovely stuff on there. So do check them out if you do want to get a discount and treat yourself a little bit. We'll be back for a match preview at some point before the Southampton game, probably Friday. Tough, tough game. As I've said, Southampton are absolutely flying at the moment, so it won't be easy at Villa Park at all. But at least we have got Danny Ings on our side this time because he always scores against us, but unfortunately, 
unfortunately we didn't manage to nab James Ward-Prowse. Thanks ever so much for watching. Have a good rest of the evening and have a good week as well. Up the villa. Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.